0: It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio.
1: Good morning, church. Today we're going to be in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, in the second chapter, and we're going to concentrate in verses 42 through 47. And as Jerry said, put this aside. You don't have to look at this right now. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a mighty God, the one and only true God. We come to you as humble servants of the King Jesus, unified in our belief in Jesus. We ask that you would teach us today And that the words that would be spoken would not be from me, but they'd be from you. Lord, that you would remove me, a person that knows so small of an amount of this Bible that you know. Lord, I can't compare to you. Let your words be the ones spoken. Move me out of the way. Lord, we ask that you would draw our attention to you today, and may your words not compete with the thoughts and the events of today that are swarming around in our minds. We pray that you would allow us to understand your word, that you would unlock the mystery of your word, that we would know this passage better than we've ever known it before. And Lord, as we leave, I ask that you would guide us to apply the words to our life and live them out in our service to you how we praise you and how we worship you. And may we point the world to you by the life that we live, that is formed by our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so if we took a poll or I asked you guys to vote on the fast food restaurant that has been the best over the last five years... And the things we were rating them on were cleanliness, how they were organized, the ease of how to to go to their restaurant and order the quickest service, the most dependable service, the most consistent service, the best quality. I think Chick-fil-A would win, right? All right. We're starting off with amen already. I don't think I've ever gotten one that soon. (laughs) All right. So I would agree The outside of the building's clean. The inside of the building's clean. The people that are there wearing uniforms, you know who they are. They're friendly. They actually want to help you. You can expect to be greeted by a friendly, how may I serve you today? The menu's fairly simple. The food's always hot, and it doesn't take long to get it, even when they're busy. The soda's got the proper mixture of carbonation and syrup. The sweet tea is never, ever stale. When you're handed your food, you don't really have to check inside the bag because it's right. Overwhelmingly, the majority of the time, it's right. And there's probably people that have gone to Chick-fil-A for years that would say they've never got their order wrong. When you go there, you know what to expect. And rarely do you leave disappointed. And it's not just the Chick-fil-A down the street from your house. It's every Chick-fil-A. So now I'm going to say something that some of you will agree with and some of you will not. But there was a time many, many years ago that McDonald's was as good as Chick-fil-A. If you're under 45 or 50, you probably don't agree with that statement. If you're over 45 or 50, you probably can envision that. I know because I asked some of the older folks in the church what it was like. Peanut gallery. I (laughs) I didn't think it was an amen. Uh, The inside of the building was clean. It was always clean. The outside of the building was always picked up. The menu board was easy to read. The food was just what you ordered. Fries were always hot. The cheese was actually on the center of the burger, and the burger was actually on the center of the bun just the way it was supposed to be. The diced onions, the pickles, the ketchup, the mustard, it was put on there precisely where it needed to be. The wrapper on the burger was meticulous. It was like military precision. It was folded just right. You didn't pick your bag up, and the burger fell off off the, the wrapper. And if you ordered a milkshake, you never heard the words Uh, We don't have the milkshake machine working today But when you were handed your food, you didn't check it because you knew it was right And when you went to McDonald's, you knew you weren't going to be disappointed That's why you went And it wasn't just the one down the street It was every one of them So this is strictly my opinion But McDonald's doesn't like that anymore There are some locations that are better than others. But in general, none of them are close to what I remember in the 60s and 70s. There are some very good people that work there, people that could go back to the 60s and 70s and work with that crew and fit in very well. It's possible that we could actually have one of those McDonald's around because McDonald's still knows how to do it. They still know the right potato. They know the exact temperature the fries need to be cooked at and for exactly how long, down to the second. They know how to make the perfect french fry. Again, it's my opinion, but they look like McDonald's, but they're not quite it. That's not uncommon for businesses. Businesses all the time start to lose sight of who they are. They wander around aimlessly trying to add things, subtract things. They become less efficient, less effective. And sometimes when they get this way, they need to go back to the founding principles of who they are, what the guiding principles are when they started, and, and then they need to understand how to accomplish the things that they planned on accomplishing to be who they wanted to be. For McDonald's, it was four things that were going to allow them to accomplish their business goals. It was quality, service, cleanliness, and value. They wanted to have great quality products. They wanted exceptional service. They wanted a clean building inside and out for the customer and in the back of the house where the employees worked. And they wanted to provide a great value. They worked hard to build a way to deliver those four things. And for the employees, there were employee manuals, instruction manuals to guide them and teach them how to do everything they needed to do to perform the work. Well, if a church wanted to see why the church exists, the Bible tells us that the church is the body of Christ. We're a group of people unified under Jesus, a group of people that point towards point the the world towards Jesus. And if we wanted to know the purpose of the church, the the Bible tells us that the church is established to teach God's word, to worship God, to carry out the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, to bring believers from all walks of life together, and to train us for God's work, to take the Gospels to the end of the earth. Now, this is a very high-level overview, but it gets us to this point. If we wanted to know the instruction manuals for the people of the church, Acts 2:42 through 47 is a really good place to start. This passage is about believers. It's about people like you and me. The people who make up the church. So we're going to read God's word in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were seen, being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people, And the Lord allotted to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Before we get into the text, I think it's important that we have some background information before we start. The the book of Acts is described as an accurate account of the birth and growth of the Christian church. It was written by Luke, the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Both of these books were addressed to the same man, Theophilus. In Luke chapter 1, verses 3, he says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he starts off with saying, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began. Now, in the life of Jesus, where we're at is it wasn't but a couple months ago from this passage that Jesus was crucified. He rose from the dead. He walked the earth for 40 days. And during those 40 days, he showed many signs that he was who he said he was. He provided convincing truths that he was Jesus and that he had been crucified, but he was no longer in the tomb. And he continued to teach the apostles during those 40 days. In the first chapter of Acts, verse 4, Jesus had risen from the tomb and was continuing to teach the disciples. And he gave them instructions, specific instructions, not to leave Jerusalem. He told them, wait for the gift my father has promised. He told them that they would be the witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, and that they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Jesus had already ascended to heaven by the time this had happened, this passage. And on the day of Pentecost, God sent the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the beginning of the church. Now, it's not the beginning of our belief in Jesus or the belief in Jesus of people, but it's the beginning of the organized church. This is the model of the Christian church, it's our example of how we are to act. And the first thing that happened in that church was a sermon. In Acts 2 14, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gave a sermon that proclaimed the good news of Jesus. And he said that Jesus was the Messiah. The Bible tells us that those that were there were cut to the heart. The Greek word meant pierced. Something that is sudden. They were stunned because Peter said, You killed the Messiah. And at the end of the sermon... They wanted to know what they could do to live a life that was devoted to Jesus. Well, Peter told them, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there were about 120 people in the church per Acts 1, verse 15. But after the sermon in verse 41 it says that there were more than 3,000 that were added to the church. And those 3,000 people were described as people who received the word and were baptized. That's an amazing sermon. 3,000 people. And there was only 120 people in the church. It's got off to a good start. And so now we're in chapter 2, verse 42. The scripture tells us significant information about the church. Understanding this was the first church, I believe the description tells us that this is the model for church. This is the way God designed the church. It's the perfect design. This is what a church is and what a church does. And again, I'm talking of the people. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So in verse 42 and 43, we can see who made up the church. It was made up of believers. If you peer forward to verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. These were saved people, and God was adding more saved people to their number. That's who the church is made up of. It wasn't the temple, it wasn't someone's home or some other building. It was the people who were called the church. And so what are the characteristics that we can understand about the church from this passage? These were devoted people. And they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. And before we go any further, we need to understand what devoted means. And the best translation from the original word is to attend to constantly. Now we've all heard someone say he's a devoted dad or she's a devoted mom or devoted wife or husband. We've heard people be called devoted for some issue they stand for. Maybe they're devoted to end homelessness or devoted to end drunk driving. It means that this is the priority of their life. This is the major reason they exist. Now, they do other things, for sure, in their life, but this is the big deal. This is the one that occupies their time. It means that a devoted mom or dad makes every decision they make, understanding how it affects their children, the job they have, the hours it requires, The finances, the time they spend with their kids, vacation, bedtime, every decision is made based on how it affects the children because they're devoted to them. It's not what's best for mom or dad. The final decision needs to rest with what's best for the children because that's what a devoted person does, a devoted mom or devoted dad. And the final answer is not... What's best for me, it's what's best for the children. It's more than allowing your children to simply have the the last roll or the last piece of pie. It's way more than that. It's deeply ingrained that the things that are, are part of the children's lives come first. The children will eat first if there's not enough food. The children will get clothes before mom gets a new wardrobe. The children's homework comes before dad's update on the sports network. And the children will get new shoes, certainly, before the parents do. The homeless advocate will go without food and give their food to someone who hasn't eaten for a few days because they're devoted to that. Devotion means we're thinking about it constantly and working on it and attended to it constantly. If your life is filled with something you're devoted to, then you're devoted to it. Our lives are filled with whatever we're devoted to. Friends can see it. Our family can see it. They know what's most important to you. That's probably what we're devoted to. It gets the best of you gets the best of your time. It gets the best of your resources. And if you're truly devoted to something, you plan your life around that thing. These people were planning their lives around Jesus. As I said, they were devoted to four things, the teaching of the Word, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. This group of people were constantly thinking about God. They didn't have the written word like we do. They were constantly remembering teachings of Jesus, and now they were remembering the teachings of the apostles. Some of them had a good understanding of the Old Testament and the law. They were devoted to the teachings of Jesus and to God's word. They were also devoted to the fellowship. And the fellowship, the translation from the original language was partnership. This isn't just getting together and and having some conversation. We're in a relationship or a partnership with every believer in Jesus Christ. And we're to spiritually stimulate each other towards being more and more like Jesus. We're to encourage each other. We're to hold each other accountable. It's a true partnership. This is more than acquaintances that we have. This is people joined together in Jesus in cooperation for a common reason, to serve him. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus calls us to live like him. We are to know our brothers and sisters, not casually like someone at work or the neighbor down the street where... You know their name. You might know their spouse's name. You know they got a couple kids and a dog, but you don't know much more than that. Because everything's surface and you're just visualizing things and you see them move or you see them buy a new car. Those are the things you know. We're to know each other well enough to hold each other accountable. We're able to
0: encourage
1: each other because we know the things that we struggle with. We know the things that are hard for us, the things that we have passion about, we know the talents and gifts that God has given each other. This is a family. That's what fellowship means. The breaking of bread is a reference to the Lord's table. Some people read this and think it's a reference to eating together. But I think it's a reference to communion. Later in the passage, there is some more language that talks about eating together in each other's homes. But for this phrase, I believe it instructs us to participate in the Lord's Supper together, to partake in communion together as a family. The prayer. Like the breaking of bread, this is stated as the prayers. This could be defined as a set of prayers used in public worship. Some people think it has a couple of different options. It could be the, the prayers that are set aside and memorized that they say in the temple. Some people think it includes the prayers that the apostles would say in the temple. And some people think it's any prayer, any time. It doesn't really matter because we know that Jesus prayed often and consistently, constantly. And he's our example, and the best thing we can take away from the prayers in this passage is that we are to be devoted to prayer, all kinds of prayer, corporately, together as a church, individually, together with a few others, of believers. We are definitely supposed to be a praying people. And so these things were the rhythm of their life. And I look at a rhythm, and the definition for a rhythm says that it's a strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement or sound. And if you have a rhythm that you follow, after a while the rhythm becomes a pattern of your life. And a pattern's definition is a sequence of actions that are regularly followed for a purpose, carefully thought out and structured. This was the pattern of their life, and they developed this pattern because they were devoted to Jesus. This pattern of life was in concert with the will of God. Because their devotion was on Jesus constantly, the teachings of Jesus, prayer, living life together with other believers, communion, they were in concert with God. This is the bare minimum that the people of the church are called to do. We are to be a devoted people to Jesus. Passage 43, or the verse 43 in the passage continues with, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Some translations use the word fear instead of all. Fear of the Lord is described in the Bible as knowledge or wisdom. It's a holy fear. It's great reverence for the Lord. These people were in awe in the work of the Holy Spirit. They received the Spirit and they understood things differently, more deeply. These were the people that made up the church. That's who was in awe. These devoted people, they were in awe of the sermon that Peter had just preached. They were in awe of the miracles that the apostles were performing. They were witnessing divine power that the apostles were able to use. These signs and wonders validated the power that the apostles were given through God. This group of people knew that they weren't doing it on their own. The Greek word for Wonder is translated to mean a miracle that reveals a hidden truth. And the original word for sign is a person who performs miracles and is chosen by God. This was supernatural. And so the sign was that they had power given to them by God. And the wonder or the miracles were the way that they were proving that. All that were in attendance that saw these things happening knew this was from God. In verse 44 it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. These two verses don't necessarily mean that they didn't have any disagreements amongst themselves or they agreed on everything. That's not what it meant, but it was... They had a common belief. The first verse, they had all things in commons, may have referred to the church not holding on to their possessions very tightly. But they were unified together in everything they possessed was from God, and they were okay with God using that any way he wanted to use it. And they were going to allow God to use that any way he willed. Verse 45 says that they would sell their possessions and give to one another as needed. It's the picture of a family. When there's a need, the family joined together and helped a struggling family member. One author said that they were radically generous. That's an overused term in our society, but these people didn't hold limits when it came to their own possessions. They didn't have their prized possessions. This wasn't a socialist group of people. They weren't uh, just selling all their possessions and handing them over to the apostles. That's not the way it worked. But they were a caring group that followed Jesus. As we continue into verse 46 and 47, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God And having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church, these people went to the temple at hours of prayer. They also witnessed to people about the good news of Jesus Christ. They attended the normal prayer times most likely at 9, 12, and 3 at the temple. And they went together as a group. This was a corporate worship of King Jesus. This section of the passage talks about going from house to house and having meals with each other. The King James Version actually says they went house to house. It reads like this And breaking bread from house to house did eat meat with gladness. This was a regular thing for the church. This wasn't a once in a blue moon type of thing, this was truly living life together. This was a part of the pattern of their life. And a pattern is something other people can follow. Some of these people wouldn't typically be seen eating together prior to Jesus. They were made up of a variety of people from different backgrounds, economic backgrounds, different clans, so to speak. There was Jews, there was Gentiles, there was people from many different walks of life. And when these people were eating together in each other's homes, it showed unity. It showed deep personal relationships between each other. And it was a sign that to each of them and to the world that the social barriers which once separated them with strong divides were torn down as they were brought together in the name of Jesus. All the while, they were praising God. In the end of this scripture, in the last half of verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I don't think we can assume that if God is happy with a group of followers of Jesus, that he will add to their number every day. But likewise, I don't think we can assume that if God is not adding people to a group of believers, that he's not happy with them. I do think that we can understand from this passage that God believes and He cares about the body of believers. Those groups of people that are devoted to Him. Those groups of believers that are devoted every day and that He may choose to add to their number when He sees fit. I also think that we can understand that God calls people to him and he will bring them to unite them with other believers as he sees fit. This group of people made up an amazing church. It was a church that I believe God was pleased with. The church, the people... Us, we're important to God. He established the church. And the church is a major theme in the Bible. There are many, many, many letters written. I believe 21 epistles written to the churches. There's words of encouragement. There's words of instruction. There's words of correction. There's words of warning written all through the Bible. As a body of believers, we should know what those words say. They're instructions to us. It would do each of us well to continue reading the Bible to learn more and understand more about what it says about the church, about the people. The church is the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Now, it's been 2,000 years since this first church that we're talking about in Acts. We know they were followers of Jesus. We know they were devoted to God's Word. They were devoted to the fellowship, devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the breaking of bread or communion. And so the question is, does the church today look like the church in Acts. As I went through it, I came to the decision we're a lot like McDonald's. We look like a church. But we're not. And I'm not talking about this church in general. I'm talking about the church. You don't have to look far to see everybody's got different denominations that we've taken one church that God made. We split. We bring our own opinions to church more important to hear our opinions or that our opinions are said than it is what this book says it's more important for us to have the pain and anguish that we go through be told but we truly don't understand the pain and anguish that Jesus felt because of me Because of you. This passage talks about their devotion. We are responsible for the state of the church. We need to look in the mirror when churches aren't well, when churches are struggling, when there are problems. And I'm often amazed how we can complicate the simplest things. We can take simple things and make them far more complicated than they need to be. We can also take the things of God and complicate them. But God, in his infinite wisdom, makes them so simple if you continue to read. God provided the teachers in this passage. They were handpicked by Jesus. They walked with him for three years to be trained to be able to speak and to teach. These people were followers of Jesus. They devoted themselves to the good news of Jesus. They devoted themselves to fellowship and prayer and communion. We need to devote ourselves to prayer both individually and corporately. We need to share as they did meals in their own homes. We need to be in in awe of God's divine power. We need to be devoted to Jesus, to the Word of God. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a Christian satire book about temptation Many, many years ago. I'm not sure when, but I think it was in the 1940s. It was a fictional series of letters. They were written by a senior demon, so to speak. And the senior demon was writing these letters to his nephew, who was a a tempter. He was going out and trying to tempt people. And the the reason C.S. Lewis wrote these is because he wanted people to understand they had to take responsibility They had to be taking a deliberate role in their Christian faith. Well, in one of the letters, there's a sentence that reads, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. McDonald's didn't get where they're at today quickly. It was slow. It didn't start out that way. And the church hasn't arrived where we're at today quickly. It's been more than 2,000 years. And so I believe this passage calls us to examine our hearts, to make sure that we are truly devoted to Jesus, that you are attending to your relationship with Jesus constantly, And so we're all on a journey in our faith, in our relationship with God. And so we're going one of two ways. And is your journey drawing you closer to God on a daily basis? Or are you drifting further away? Do you look like a Christian? which are not really. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that can cut us right to the heart. Lord, let us be like the first church. We don't want to wonder. We don't want to be people going the wrong way. But Lord, we don't want to be lukewarm. We don't want to be spit from your mouth. Lord, we don't want to hear Jesus say away with you, I never knew you. Lord, examine our hearts as individuals. Help us, Lord, to be devoted as individuals and then come together and unified as a body of believers under Jesus. Lord, that we may point the world towards Jesus every single day. Lord, give us the courage to hear what you have to say. Let us be a family where we care so much about each other that we're willing to invest time in each other. We're willing to sit down and pray with each other. We're willing to pray for the things that are deep and heavy on people's hearts. Or may we not just be people that say how you're doing and never listen to the answer. May we truly, truly know each other. And the way for us to do that, Lord, is to be devoted to your Son, Jesus, to your Word, to prayer. Lord, help us truly to be devoted, not, not halfway. Lord, let us be one or the other thank you for all that you do, Lord. I pray that you would give us the, the ability, the courage, the bravery to, to listen to your word, to let you sharpen us, to let you point out those things that we put before you. And may we be able to deal with those things as a family. Lord, we want to be a church that You want to add people to daily. We want to be a church that's not full of our own opinion, but full of Your Word. Not full of our will, but Your will. Lord, we thank You for all that You do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.